0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to SNL Funhouse, the Saturday Night Live Recap Podcast. My name is Mike Bloom talking about this week's, the first April 2018 installment of Saturday Night Live, season 43, episode 17, hosted by Chadwick Boseman, who I don't know if you knew, played Black Panther, and we're going to talk a lot about Black Panther. And of course, I'm joined as per usual by my co-host on the SNL Funhouse podcast, Mr. Mario Lanza. Mario, how are you doing?
1: Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be joining you for my first show here. Thank you, Mike, for having me on.
0: Of course. You know, I'm glad that we brought on your voice double to cover the previous four or so episodes, but now we can (laughs) finally get to the heart of the matter. The true Mario Lanza is finally here. Uh, But yeah, Mario, this is a new month, new batch of SNL. We're going to get one this week, one next week. I'm assuming then three in May to sort of finish things out. But overall, as a way to uh, welcome back the month in SNL, what did you think about this installment overall?
1: this was one of those episodes that I wasn't like, I didn't have huge hopes for cause I don't know much about Chadwick Boseman. And I, I got nothing against uh, black Panther. I just don't in general watch superhero movies. Like I haven't seen any Superman or Spider-Man or any superhero movies. So I'm, that's one of my things. Like I, I long for the day five years from the future when this long nightmare of superhero movies is over, but I know it's a big hit and I know he's a big deal. I didn't realize he was in it. I knew him from the Jackie Robinson movie 42, which I thought he was fantastic in. So When I realized he was the guy from 42, I'm like, okay, well, this should be good, because he was really good in that. But I didn't have a lot of high hopes for this episode. And there was some things that won me over in the episode, some things that didn't win me over. I thought overall it was an average to maybe a slightly above average episode, but it wasn't anything that I really thought was outstanding.
0: Yeah, I I had some probably higher hopes than you did coming in. And maybe that was just p- based on the optics of it considering that we were coming off of the Sterling K Brown and the Bill Hader episodes, both of which were like in my top 3 episodes of the season so far. You know, we took about a month long break, so it's nice to, you know, have the SNL performers and writers sort of recharge their batteries and Chadwick Boseman can be a nice wild card. I mean, there's one reason why he does do a lot of biopics, and we see this episode. He's a very versatile performer, at least from an at least from an accent perspective. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd say that this one is was okay to pretty good. There were definitely a couple of highlights, and those highlights probably put it where it did in my SNL rankings. Which, for those of you that wanted to keep track for some reason, uh, right now it comes in at number twelve, right below Sir Sharonin, and right above James Franco, sort of in that middle to bottom tier. But, but everything else, sort of middle to me, from like. All right, to one very, very big case. We talked about this before uh, Before we got on here. There's one in here that might be my pick for the worst sketch of the season so far. I mean, uh, people listening might, uh, it's pretty easy to guess what it may be. But, you know, in spite of all that, I it's it, SNL's back. I'm happy to watch it regardless.
1: Yeah, I mean, SNL is bright moving colors on a TV screen, which I enjoy. So I'm glad yeah. I was back.
0: And so you were happy to see Chadwick Bozeman wear those bright moving colors on his shirt during his monologue?
1: Oh, that was fantastic. He was right out of the Sgt. Pepper album, so I appreciated that costume.
0: Well, let's take a step back from the monologue. Let's start with this cold open. Uh, So, we start with, interestingly enough, we start with like this Fox News show, Outnumbered, which I thought we were going to sort of live in like we did with the Anderson Cooper 360 on the previous cold open. But that's almost like a framing device to set up this Baltic press conference. It's the return of Alec Baldwin as Donald Trump. And we have a a little bit of a hodgepodge. You know, we've got this press conference we've got you know trump freestyling we've got some inner monologue stuff going on and then his final diatribe about how he says you know i am on i'm completely honest here i don't care about america i don't care about you how did you feel about this cold open
1: i actually kind of like this one and if only because they kind of did the inner monologue of trump which i thought was a creative way to kind of set up some of his punchlines so yeah, it's it's one of these things as always I kinda of roll my eyes when the Trump comes out, I know exactly where it's gonna go. But this one was a little bit different, and I actually kinda of, kinda of wrote in my notes here. I kinda of like this one. This was this one kind of made me laugh.
0: Yeah, I wanted that inner monologue thing to be the entire sketch. You know, that mm-hmm. that's one of the th- things things uh, sort of the Achilles heel of these cold opens. Cause I do agree that this actually might be one of my favorite Trump cold opens in a little bit. Uh, But, like you said, I like when they go unconventional. I just—I feel like in some of these cult opens, they like to sort of jam a bunch of stuff all together, especially after a month happens to sort of, like, catch us up. And so, you know, if they had just had an entire sketch where it's just Trump's inner monologue the entire time—you know, they did this uh, in the John Cena episode, I think, back Mm -hmm. last season with, like, the inside Donald's head or something where they took it through a day in his eyes—I— I would have really liked that, because like you said, that's a new way of doing it. So I I was a little sad when we sort of pulled our foot out of the water. What did you think about, uh, as I mentioned before, Trump's final statement about how, you know, I don't care about America? Because I think one of the criticisms that some people have leveraged toward SNL this season is that they felt that they've sort of gone, quote unquote, toothless with the way they're Mm -hmm. portraying Trump in general. I would say that maybe this is a point that doesn't necessarily lie in their favor there. That seems like a very, you know, biting statement.
1: Yeah, and I I never thought this season was toothless against Trump. I thought they were just trying to make him as ridiculous as possible. And this, I mean, people who don't like Trump obviously would agree with that statement that they don't think he actually cares about America. He only cares about himself. So obviously that was a big... You know, you're going to get the applause break from the crowd on stuff like that. I, I don't agree that the criticism of him has been toothless. I think it has been exceptionally toothful. Is that the the opposite? Very
0: toothy, yeah.
1: It's a very. It's been like Vanessa Bayer.
0: Yes, just a big old. <laughs> A wide smile showing off all those pearly whites. But this sketch did not go without, you know, Baldwin's typical Trump isms. Uh, I liked a few of these talking about how, you know, I've expelled the infamous Chinese billionaire P.F. Chang, uh, all, all the random things he was throwing out to the three people from the Baltic states, including saying that they were all from Hufflepuff Uh <laughs> And then the extended bit where he is describing the Mad Maxicans, which are the Mexicans in the style of, uh, you know, the the very specific styling of the enemies from Mad Max Fury Road.
1: Yeah, and the three things that I learned from this are that we now have a tariff on Chinese finger traps, which is good because those things are horrid. And we learned that Roseanne is a good Rosie O'Donnell, which is my personal favorite line from the sketch. I know there was a third thing, but I don't remember what it is now. So there were two things we learned, I meant.
0: Well, maybe the Easter Bunny scared it out of you, because I did like that they sort of made a nudge to that, which took the internet by storm last week by showing the (laughs) very frightening specter of that Easter Bunny with glasses standing behind him. It even references it to being like a Donnie Darko-like situation.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. But again, this is going kind to of the. the, the I, we talk about this on the show all the time these topical jokes that no one's going to get in 10 years. When these, And that's the one thing that I always talk about on SNL when I'm referring to the sketch is how is this going to be remembered 10 years from now? Because I've been watching the show so long, I just think about reruns and history and stuff. And like, no one's going to get that bunny joke in 10 years. So I appreciate it's there now, but like, that's not going to work in a rerun in 10 years.
0: Well, maybe it'll disappear in 10 years, like the bunny in Donnie Darko. Uh, let, let's go to the monologue here because. I will say throughout this entire episode, Chadwick Boseman oozed like charisma and stage presence and confidence, which is why they put him in so many different roles. I would say here, it looks like he was his least confident doing this monologue. Like He seemed a little serious, maybe a little nervous, understandably so. Being on SNL is a big deal, even if you're a big, fantastic movie star. Uh, But essentially, the monologue boils down to him basically talking about how, you know, all the bad Black Panther sketches are left now. Talking about, like, I'm so glad they had me on two months after my movie came out. Sterling K. Brown came on before me, and he's only in the first scene of the movie. And then it ends up bringing out a cameo in Keenan playing Panthero, but also making a reference to himself, which was, I mean, Mario, you're a big nostalgia guy, especially from the 80s and 90s. So you must have loved a good Panthero reference.
1: Well, yeah, Thundercats is even kind of obscure by my standards. I never really was that big into Thundercats, but I appreciated seeing a, a shout-out to it here. And, and yeah, you mentioned that uh, he, he seemed kind of nervous in this monologue, but it, it's it's the same thing kind of with Bill Hader, that these guys are character actors. They're not really used to going out there and playing themselves and talking about stuff. So I can understand he was a little nervous in this one, and, again, maybe his Sgt. Pepper clothes kind of threw him off a little bit, Uh but uh, yeah, it, 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 he did a decent monologue. My only criticism with this monologue is it seemed kind of long. Yeah. It really kind of dragged for a monologue where there wasn't much content. And it was like time they could have spent in the episode later. Although once we saw some of the sketches in the second half, maybe that wouldn't have been the best thing. Maybe the <laughs> monologue was time better spent. But yeah, it just seemed a rather long. He seemed kind of nervous. And he did fine. But it's funny. what I When I see these hosts for the first time, I watch them in the monologue. And I kind of uh, write a little note how I predict the show is going to go. And I even wrote right here. Yeah, he's an okay host, but not funny, really. I think this will be kind of a meh to average show. And it turned out to be right. But, yeah, that's you can usually judge a lot kind of from the monologue.
0: Yeah, though, maybe they should, to your point, have vamped a little bit more with the James Brown dancing. That was an interesting capper because, obviously, he played James Brown in Get On Up. He's going to sing later on. I thought he was going to sing. We got, you know, Lenny Pickett yelling, like, yeah, let's do this. And then he does, what, like four bars of dancing, and then that was it? I wanted more. Yeah.
1: Give me more of that. Yeah, cut down his monologue and do more of the dancing. That's what the people would have been there for. But again, the Kenan part was okay just because Keenan will always kind of steal a scene when he pops up. And he did have the line in here that made me laugh. What do you say? Uh, There's not a lot of work out there for a brother on a cat planet with spiky suspenders. Yeah. Which, that's a good line.
0: That's a good line. Yeah, I love that at this point, they pretty much are referencing the fact that, like, Keenan's been on for 15 years. He can do basically whatever he wants at this point, including donning full Panthro regalia to (laughs) go out and talk with Chad McBowden for a 30-second gag. That's what I love about SNL.
1: Yeah, it's every young comic's dream to one day play Panthro. It's like the Hamlet of comedy roles.
0: Oh, yes. To meow or not to meow. All right, let's (laughs) let's move on to our first pre-tape here. Uh, We get a nice build-up to a Nike commercial uh, about... These athletic leggings that are now built to do essentially what leggings are meant to do—what you actually do with them—and I thought this was, <laughs> as per usual with the pre-tapes, extremely well done. With you know, you have Heidi and Melissa like showing off their fighter and runner, and then Aty, who's really going to be like one of the stars of this episode, uh, mm-hmm. showing off what the leggings are really used for most of the time, which is just sitting on the couch. There were just so many specific details that I uh, that made me really, really enjoy this. What did you think about it?
1: Yeah, 80 had her hands all over this episode, especially this little pre-taped bit. And this was one of my two favorite things about this episode. I think this was really funny. And I just have a little note here. This is it's kind of mean, but it could not be more apropos that Heidi and Melissa are doing all of this hard work. And AD and Kate are just kind of coasting by and resting on their laurels. And, and <laughs> just I thought that was a rather fitting of this sketch right here. But I just thought this was really funny. I, I love the sentiment behind it. I love the way AD played it. And, I, again, she had her hands all over the writing of this, but I know she was behind it. And this was absolutely one of the, uh, the star pieces of the show, especially was, it was Kate when she says, My Fitbit says I'm dead.
0: Yeah. I also liked uh, the couch panini, which is leggings, blanket, (laughs) and laptop. It's, again, these little specific things. And, you know, also, like, coming from a world where, you know, sometimes I wear sweatpants to quote-unquote work when you know that, like... There's a specific purpose for these, and I am not utilizing them whatsoever. I'm using them more so for comfort. And I think Kate says early on in the commercial that, like, leggings are for, like, workouts, recreation, and a napkin. There's just so many funny lines in this one. And especially, again, the production value behind it, too, making all this couch potato stuff in the intensity of the sports stuff was something that I really enjoyed.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I I should say I have something to add to that as a computer programmer who downs copious amounts of Gatorade to restore all my lost electrolytes that I'm spending through the day. (laughs) But I understand this feeling very well.
0: Oh, yeah, you must be sweating so much all over your computer. (laughs)
1: Well, that's the thing. I'm burning fuel. I got to get it back in me. It's like the athletes down in Florida knew when they developed Gatorade. You must replenish the fluids. (laughs)
0: Let's move on to probably the biggest sketch of this episode and definitely the one that's even gone the most viral only about 12 hours or so after it aired let's talk about black jeopardy i believe this is the first time black jeopardy has returned since tom hanks which was my favorite episode of last season and might be my favorite edition of black jeopardy ever though this one came pretty close now we spoke a little bit about this earlier on but give me your thoughts as you were sort of watching black jeopardy play out in real time
1: i have to call you out here for a second michael bloom mike you ignorant slut I have heard you say that the Dave Chappelle episode was your favorite from last season, and Tom Hanks was number two, and I vehemently argued saying Hanks was better. You reversed that, and now you've reversed it on me. What's going on
0: yeah, I'm just reversing all reverse reverse all the time, so I just get you confused no i I think when I talked about it on my on the wrap up show I did with Rich, I said that. Pre- preliminarily, I had had uh, Chappelle first and Hank second. And then going into our final show, when I relooked looked over my rankings, I said, Chappelle had some good stuff, but there was a lot of stuff to your point about, like, might not play as well looking back, whereas Hanks has a lot of stuff that even in a time capsule you could look back on and absolutely love. So that's when I made the swap, though. From a visual perspective, I did not go back and update my list.
1: Okay, nice flip-flop, Munson.
0: Yes, absolutely. So <laughs> okay, uh, I'll, I'll Jeopardy, flip-flop yeah. the question back to you and say, what did you think about this edition from Black, of Je- Black Jeopardy?
1: Okay, this is my favorite sketch of the night and one I wanted to talk about because as it started, you know, like you said, it hadn't been out since the Tom Hanks episode, and that was such an iconic version of it. I really loved it. I'm like, oh, no, how are you going to follow up the Tom Hanks one? And that I really was not won over on this sketch, the first part of it. I'm like, okay. He's kind of naive. He doesn't get the ways of humans. He's going to be out of touch. So I get the joke and it didn't really go anywhere, I thought. And then we got to the potato salad joke. And right before that, we got to two instances of Keenan reacting to stuff, which is the Keenan's bread and butter where where Chadwick would say something and Keenan would just have this really over the top reaction to it. And man, Keenan was making me laugh on those two reactions. Mm -hmm. And then we get to the potato salad joke, which is just a big, long, extended, drawn out joke of Keenan reacting to everything Chadwick saying, which was so fantastic and such a great use of both of their talents in one little moment that it really won me over that I had to rewind it and watch it again. And that's the one thing I would say, if there's one thing for this episode that I think will stand out over the years, it will be this little back and forth interplay between Chadwick Boseman and Keenan over potato salad, which was fantastic and eventually won me over and made me love this sketch.
0: Yeah, I think to your point about that, I think the good thing about this is that it built – which not sometimes some of these SNL sketches don't necessarily do. Like, there was an actual through line throughout of, here's Chadwick Boseman playing T'Challa, you know, that uh, he talked about in the monologue. Of course, the first sketch that comes up is a Black Panther-like sketch. And like you said, the game is basically that T'Challa is, you know, naive, or I wouldn't say naive, but he just doesn't realize, like, the ways of the world, especially America. You know, there's a really nice biting moment in there where he talks about how, like, oh, law enforcement knows best. They're there to trust us. And the face that <laughs> Keenan makes is just fantastic, as he mentioned. But then it leads to this interesting bit at the end where he's like, okay, I think I'm getting this. You know, even though I have not had potato salad, I have a sense this white woman does not season her food. And he just sort of built into this answer of, oh, hell no, Karen. You know, uh, don't bring your you – know, get, the, get the raisins out of the potato salad. I thought that final build was so great. And like you said, I think it definitely informed everything that happened before it. Ironically enough, you know, mm-hmm. I, and I, I think the plotting was interesting where, you know, what Black Jeopardy does a good job of is usually you would think that, okay, that third seat is usually the butt of the joke. Let's keep going back to them. But they always do a good job of sort of portioning things out between the other two con- this sort of straight man contestants as well. And there's a lot of humor in the questions themselves that at least keeps things entertaining until, you know, the big jokes start coming in.
1: Yeah. And I will say on as a supporting role, Leslie was good in this. And I, I have to give a shout out to Leslie. She was in the opening bit with uh, Fox News and she did not break or blow a line. And then in this one, she did not break or blow a line either. So she did very well, which is good for Leslie. And But she and Chris Red were very good in this sketch as a supporting role. I really liked what Chris did in this one. But yeah, just this whole sketch was Keenan reacting to stuff. And that's the thing, I just, the thing I just want to beat people with over the head over and over again, that rewatch this potato salad sketch and watch how Keenan, the reaction is not only so good to all of Chadwick's lines, but the timing is perfect, absolutely perfect, where he doesn't step on Chadwick's lines. It's like a little dance. And it's, it was just so great. And I just, I, I might like, might like this one as much as the Hanks one overall. I think they were, they were equals.
0: Is that because you you own you used to hold margarine like one of the sponsors of the Black Jeopardy?
1: No, but I do drink Sprite, which apparently is the black soda, which I wasn't aware of.
0: Get yourself a well done steak to go with that; it's a perfect combination.
1: <laughs> and and to this day, I will now take out the under seasoned raisins from my potato salad. So I learned something about potlucks here.
0: That's maybe that's the third thing you learned from that cold <laughs> over from that cold open.
1: That was it. Good callback. Well done.
0: <laughs> Let's move on to our next sketch here and. I'll say that this feels like it has Mikey Day written all over him, and not just because he was uh, one of the starring roles in this, but we're at this Fertility Frontier project where a man a la Arnold Schwarzenegger, once upon a time in the movie Junior, (laughs) has become pregnant, and the doctor, played by Chadwick, doing yet another funny voice, uh, gives the revelation at a press conference that this man will not have a C-section to give birth, but he'll be giving birth through his urethra. And then from there, it was just basically talking about how it would work. Uh, the image of tuliping came about using a Looney Tunes metaphor. What did you think about this sketch?
1: I wasn't a big fan of this one just because I thought it was very... Uh, what's the right word? I'm trying to think of what the right word was this. Like, kind of beneath them, the mm. sketch. I mean, it was really, from a comedy writing perspective, they came up with this this term tuliping, And like, okay, we'll write a sketch around the word tuliping, which... I don't know if it's strong enough to support a whole sketch. I didn't really. This sketch didn't really do anything for me, and I normally like Mikey Day sketches, but this one in particular, I just thought was kind of a waste of time. Like, eh, okay, you got the word tulipping. I'll give you credit for that. Maybe you introduce something to the comedy lexicon, but I don't know if it was strong enough to support a full sketch.
0: Yeah, I I liked Mikey Day's initial reaction when he, you know, when Chadwick makes that reveal, and you have Mikey sitting, you know, in the camera fl- frame, like, what. Uh, so I thought that was a funny line. The audience laughed along with that too. But I feel like with that character, they didn't really go anywhere. Like like you said, eighty describes the tuliping. I did like uh, the comparison to a bowling ball going through a Twizzler. I mean, I have to imagine that also the the male audience members, myself included, definitely like crossed my legs at that point. Just even thinking about the idea. Uh, but I feel like you know, Mikey didn't give that much reaction to stuff. Maybe it was, he was going for more of like the stunned silence type of thing. But I kind of wanted bigger, more bombastic reactions out of him. Perhaps maybe my favorite part was something that was sort of a throwaway where, you know, A.D. calls on Cecily and she goes, yes, uh, the woman with the wrinkled skirt. And Cecily (laughs) goes, well, that's, you didn't need to say that, but okay. So, yeah, I thought this was fine, but I kind of wanted to get more out of it.
1: Yeah, and I will agree with you. That is the funniest line in the sketch, and it was just a throwaway line. (laughs)
0: Well, let's move on here, going back to the pre-tapes, and 80 is taken front and center once again. In honor of the musical guest Cardi B, 80 is taking on a persona. 80 B, who's from the Bronx, even though she's actually from Arizona, basically uh, (laughs) co-opting an attitude of, I don't give give a rat's ass, and she's going to own SNL backstage and apparently become best friends with Cardi B, at least in her opinion, as someone who is not well-versed in the ways of Cardi B. How do you feel about this use of, like, the, oh, we're going to have the musical guest appear in this pre-tape and, you know, uh, make sort of references based on that?
1: Every so often, I see a sketch that looks like it was designed to go viral. That was the kind of the point of it. They expect this is going to be a big deal. It's going to go viral. This is going to be their big thing. This is the sketch that that that's exactly what this little bit felt like. They like, they really expected this to be the big hit to come out of this episode, and I don't think it's going to because I don't think it was really that strong. And it could be just me because I don't really know much about Cardi B or who she is, but it just didn't seem like it kind of matched some of the the musical ones they've done in the past. And again, 80 being all over the show, this was clearly hers as well. You can always, always tell when 80 writes something, you can, it's just got a certain sensibility and where she's sticking the tongue out. She has this one move where she's laughing and sticking the tongue out at the camera. But I don't think this was the strongest one. I'm, I'm curious what you think or what other people thought about this one, because this one did absolutely nothing for me whatsoever. But it just struck me as something that they expect it was going to go viral.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it was expected to go viral. I think it was just something fun. I mean, to your point, it reminds me a bit of uh, when uh, – oh God, what's his name? The guy that said someone, somebody that I used to know. I remember when he was on the show, there was a sketch where Andy Samberg and Taryn Killam – uh, mm-hmm. Painted themselves like he did in the music video for that song, and like you could tell it was something that's like fun to sort of involve the musical guest and like poke fun at, or not poke fun, but get them involved in like something that they're known for in the mainstream, but wasn't necessarily you know to uh, co-opt the term from Rob Sesternino It was more fun than funny, and I feel like mm-hmm. that applies here, where there are some really fun moments, like when she calls Kyle Mooney "you goofy bitch," which by the way. Uh, by Kyle Mooney. We're not going to see you for the rest of the episode. Uh, <laughs> I, I, but I liked the moments. Uh, one scene that I really liked was uh, when it kept cutting between her, like, rolling around on the desk to her sort of thinking that she's living her best fantasy in this music video with the red dress and the lipstick and everything. And I kind of wanted to see more of that. You know, I would love to see, like, her doing these things that look mundane or ridiculous in the real world, but then they translate to, like, something that she thinks is absolutely classy in the Cardi B-like universe. I thought it had a good energy to it. The SNL nerd in me loved that uh, we got an appearance from a writer. In this case, Sudi Green was the one who uh, got 80 to to, uh, snap that story for the SNL Instagram page, where she basically insults everything. I thought the Cardi B at the end, it was necessary, but I thought it was... Okay, maybe my favorite part was 80s song about how subs are good by prefer pizza, honey. Uh, but overall, I thought this had a good energy to it and actually brought us really nicely into the musical guest, but it wasn't necessarily the most laugh out loud part of the evening.
1: Yeah, and I'll, I'll be fair here and say I really like the past efforts of 80 with these songs. I like uh, First Got Horny to You, and I'll obviously do it on my twin bed. So I missed those on the show. Those were some of my favorite things that came out of SNL during that era. So it's nice to see them kind of come back. I just didn't think this one was especially strong. If people like this one, I'm not going to disagree and say they're wrong. It's just this one did absolutely nothing for me, mainly because I didn't really know the source material. I'd never heard of Cardi B until this episode, so I'm hardly the best judge. But, yeah, this was one. It was clear they put a lot of effort into it, and AD really threw her heart into it. So, you know, more power, too. I like when she gets more airtime, but it just—it didn't do much for me, personally.
0: Well, speaking of Cardi B, it segues nicely into our musical guest talk. And after a brief hiatus uh, during the Will—during the Bill Hader episode, we've got Will from America back on the line to talk all about the background behind Cardi B, her two performances, and, of course, probably the other big thing— Uh, that has been making news waves besides Black Jeopardy this episode, her surprise pregnancy reveal during her second song. So, Will, take it away. Hey, Mike
2: and Mario. It's been a few weeks, but I'm finally back to talk about a big week on SNL with Cardi B. Now, I assume both of you two are quite familiar with her work already, but I'll get into her background for everyone listening who isn't as hip as you fellows. Cardi B has been a hustler her whole life, She first gained prominence as a stripper before gaining a large following on Instagram. She was then a cast member on VH1's Love & Hip Hop New York from 2015 to 2017, before dropping her debut single, Bodak Yellow, in June of 2017. It turned Cardi B into a cultural juggernaut, making her the first female rapper to top the Billboard Hot 100 in a solo performance since Lauryn Hill in 1998. Since then, she's collaborated with the likes of Bruno Mars, and her presence has been pretty much inescapable in pop culture. She's been compared to other aggressive female rappers such as Lil Kim, but most of all, she's been a huge symbol for female empowerment in music, especially considering how during 2017, there would be weeks where women were entirely absent from Billboard's Top 10. Her style as a performer is something you either love or you hate, but it's Pretty much impossible to deny the strength of her charisma and personality that shines through in her music. I found her first performance, a medley of Bodak Yellow and Bardier Cardi, to be a bit weak, mainly just due to the need for Cardi to censor herself, but that's something you can't really avoid on a show like SNL. Despite some unclear enunciation, she had a great stage presence. I liked the second performance, Be Careful, a lot more. It felt as if Cardi was opening up to the audience, which is pretty rare considering her tough image and exterior. And of course, we have to talk about the elephant in the room, Cardi revealing live that she's pregnant with a baby with her fiancé Offset from Migos. The pregnancy has been highly speculated on, but it's pretty exciting seeing something like that on SNL, since it centers a lot of the discussion and the cultural zeitgeist around the show. And, of course, it's very empowering to see Cardi not let her pregnancy slow down her career whatsoever. Anyways, Mike, I highly recommend getting in touch with Cardi to set up your next podcast, the Cardi B&B. And next week, we'll be talking about Jack White of The White Stripes. So I'll talk to you boys then.
0: Okay. So thank you, Will, for giving us some background, some basic education on the Cardi A, B, and Cs, and for your thoughts on her two songs Mario, I know you briefed me before offline coming into this. I'm going to start off with you, because it seems like you have quite the hot take on Cardi B.
1: (laughs) Well, first off, I do not think it was appropriate for Will to refer to a pregnant woman as an elephant in the room. I don't know if that was necessarily the best way to phrase that. I don't know. I'd never heard of Cardi B before, and I'm watching her with my wife last night. And again, I, I, I I will... flat out admit i don't historically watch the musical guests or really pay attention to music but like i'm watching her last night and i'm like this may not be the nicest thing in the world so you may want to tone this down somewhat but like people are going to look back at the show in 15 20 years and wonder what the hell our culture was doing where this was like the mainstream big biggest song in america at the time like they're going to look back at us and judge us and i'm like so I feel bad. I'm embarrassed for our particular pop culture that this is what we have to offer to viewers of SNL in 20 years. That's, that's what I will say. I was watching this and I was just, ew! what is this crap? So, uh, perhaps that might not be the nicest thing, but I, I do not get the appeal of this song or this whole little culture. So, uh, I'm glad it empowers people, but, uh, I guess the, the, the unpo- unpopular thing would be to say if this empowers you, perhaps you need different life goals.
0: <laughs> wow. Blazing hot takes. Very well done steak temperatures from Mario Lanza here. I mean, I don't
1: get it. Yeah, I just don't get it.
0: I mean, I'll disagree. I really, really like this. And maybe this is because uh, no offense to you, Mario, I might be more locked into this type of stuff. <laughs> what? Um, yeah, but I, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I think she, no matter what you can say, I think she has a hell of a stage presence, and she absolutely owns it. I thought with the first song, it was, I mean, I've heard that song before, uh, or, you know, one of them, it was a mashup of two songs, as Will talked about. I really enjoyed it. I think this is, unfortunately, one of the cases where we talk about this all the time, but I cannot say it enough, that the Studio 8H sound mixing is horrendous. There are usually terrible acoustics in there, so unfortunately that plays on this where like you could tell her track was turned really down low and to the point where all her words got muddled. I think to Will's point, she also might've had to do sort of a radio edit version and maybe didn't roll as smoothly off the tongue as the other ones. But I thought, you know, I really enjoyed the second song, Be Careful. And that really nice sort of widening of the spotlight to reveal that pregnancy. I mean, I think it was subtle and I think it was well done, especially because as Will said, it was something that sort of involved in the the news sites and the tabloids for a while so i thought it was a really interesting way to do it and obviously made a huge impact in the world of social media which as someone who like you know became famous on social media i think it's uh, in cardi b's wheelhouse so i definitely enjoyed it uh more than you did and of course congratulations <laughs> aren't sorter for for cardi b for not only a successful performance but her uh, her pregnancy as well hopefully it doesn't need to be through the urethra.
1: Yes, her performance was amazing. I'm sorry for my insensitive comments. I thought she was great.
0: There you go. Thank you for reading off the, the card I gave you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> um, well, let's move on to Weekend Update here. I would say some fun stuff in here, but I would say not one of the strongest Weekend Updates. I feel like Che and Joss were doing some good stuff. We'll definitely talk about a couple of uh, key bites in there. But any thoughts about you overall on Weekend Update?
1: I didn't take a whole lot of notes on this episode. And like there were just I mean, it's not that it was bad. I, I think those two are always fantastic. There's just nothing that really stood out to me. The the two jokes, the Australian joke about the guy getting stabbed mm-hmm. immediately becoming president and the Wales one. The Wales one made me laugh. That was a very clever Colin Jost joke. And I love his little smirk at the end, knowing that it was basically the Mitch Hedberg re- reaction where gives the, the elephant or the what is it the, the whale bowhead whales play improv jazz and that's why they they do uh, jazz improvisations as they sing and that's why other whales hate them <laughs> and it was just kind of a subtle joke and at the end the audience didn't get a big laugh and Joe's kind of smirked and it's, it's the old mitch Hedberg reaction that joke was funnier than you acted and it's just <laughs> so i just love that little reaction but yeah otherwise for me the big uh, highlight of this one zuckerberg was good but obviously for me as a big heidi gardner fan the big highlight was angel coming back
0: yeah, so before we get to that, I'll point out a couple of other things as well. Uh, I did want to point out that Colin Jones called Trump a, a shade queen, which I thought was so <laughs> odd, but I absolutely loved it. Uh, between that and, like, the Laganja Estranja-esque lip trail that 80 did in her ADB sketch, like the Drag Race fan of me was living for it. Uh, but I, I liked Michael Chase sort of going on his tangent about how Stormy Daniels, you know— Threatens to reveal, you know, her encounter with Trump's genitals, and he compared it to that friend who's like, "Oh, this is so gross. You should try it." Just no, we don't want to do that. Don't <laughs> offer that to us. But let's let's get into these two correspondents here. Let's start with Mark Zuckerberg because this is another one where, you know, I think we've talked a bunch on the podcast at least recently about how we feel like uh, Alex Moffin might be pretty underrated among this cast of SNL, and I think this is another indication of that. I thought this was a weird needle to thread. Uh, Just because amidst, you know, the stuff that he's affiliated with and the fact that, like, you know, Zuckerberg is not necessarily, I don't know, behaviorally right sometimes, uh, it might be tough to do. But I thought that he put out a really unique, interesting, and overall funny take on Mark Zuckerberg here.
1: Yeah, and it's someone that, I mean, I don't think most people know the mannerisms of Mark Zuckerberg. I'm not sure how familiar he is as, like, a big standout character, like, what was his little quirks were, so... This was an instance of yeah, basically Alex kind of inventing his own character, which I I respect. I appreciated that. And again, I I thought this was really funny. He had a lot of energy in there, a lot of good uh, quotes and catchphrases. And I like the poke, poke, poke. Oh, that's that's flirting for cowards, which I, I always appreciated that line. But yeah, it was. This was a very nice effort, and I thought the audience liked it. And I've seen other reviews of this episode saying that this was actually the standout of Update Not Angel. So yeah, he obviously did something right and I agree with you that Alex is quickly becoming one of my sneaky favorite cast members.
0: Uh his his laughing, I'll put laughing in quotations, was so funny. His <laughs> just like gaff screamings and then Colin saying, Are you laughing or screaming? Absolutely, homie. And his, his take on <laughs> dabbing, which is essentially like flail his arms around. I thought there were there were so many fun things going on there, and it didn't overstay its welcome. But I also liked, again, the sort of bite behind it of him being like, listen, I checked the data sets, and I'm not going to tell you this information, and I don't care. Uh, so it's <laughs> like, he's still kind of an asshole, but at the same time, he doesn't know, at least this take on Zuckerberg, just doesn't know how to function properly. but. <laughs> let, let, let's move on. Let's drive to our sister's house with the kids. Let's talk about the return of Angel here. I believe it might be the Tiffany Haddish episode. It might be the last time we've seen her. I know you're a huge Heidi Gardner fan. So comparing this to the last time we saw her, how did you feel Heidi did this time out?
1: Well, the, the thing with, with uh, Angel to start off is there's only so much you can do with that character. I that's why it's a weekend update character and not in a recurring sketch, because it's really got the one bit. So, I mean, there's not that much they could do. They could work it into the topical news, but it's always going to follow the same template. Oh, I can't believe you brought that up. It reminds me of this. And then it goes into the story. So, like, there's only so much you can do. But I'm just so enthralled with watching Heidi as a performer that it doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. I think she's so good. There was there was times in this sketch where it sounded like Shay and Jose were trying to make her break character, like they're giggling at certain parts, and she'll just shoot him a look in Angel in character, and she will not break. She's so tough in character, and she will not bend, and I just find her so fascinating to watch as a performer. Like, I almost don't even care what words are coming out of her mouth. She's just so good at just the acting part of it. That mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I don't, again, I don't think this was as funny as the first one, but that's because the first one was unexpected. And they were. They also worked in Jost more into the first one, where she keeps asking about if Colin hurt. They didn't do that as much in this one. But again, I don't care. Just give her more airtime because she's so fantastic. And just, just watch the little stuff she does and and how she will not ever, ever, even come close to breaking character. That's what's so neat about her.
0: Yeah, I, I would say that starting off, I maybe was not on as bored uh, as on board with it, just because I was like, okay, she's making this. She's even saying the same, you know. Um, taking the kiss of my sister's joke. You know, to quote which Tackenberg, it was a little mad libs, but then we started to build on a little more, and I was liking it. You know, her saying that, like, my my prince rode in on a white stretcher, and her specifically, <laughs> we finally get the kids' names. We have Mikey, Nikki, Peppers, and Little, little Kino, who is a girl, um, and I liked, you know, her sister lives on 555 Whitey Bolger Way. I think my favorite part of it might have been her reaction to the Roseanne stuff, uh, just because I think that th- one of the things that makes it a little mad libsy is like Michael brought her on to be like, okay, we're going to have her react to some good news. And I feel like when he was giving her good news, she didn't really react to it. But with Roseanne, I feel like that was the most that like, she really turned it into something, especially her specifically referencing, like you're just the same old show. Like you thought you were retire and you came back just because you think Darlene has a gay son. You think you've changed, you haven't changed. Uh, and then of course some great p- prop work at the end with her pulling out a VHS of Frasier.
1: Yeah, I should point out she named her kids in the first one, too. And I only oh, really? know that because I just uh, I had my in-laws over to my house for uh, spring break last week. And I just happened to show them this sketch. I'm like, watch this lady on SNL. She's so funny. So I just watched that first one like three days ago. Yeah, she names Mickey, Mike, Mikey, and Peppas in the first one, too. But then I think Kino was a new one. So she uh, she may have had a new child since then. Daughter, not son.
0: Yes, daughter, not son. I can't wait for Texas Hold'em next time.
1: Yeah, I I would love if they could work Angel into other bits other than weekend update. I don't know if she has the potential for that. And again, as a as a performer who's clearly probably very uh protective and loves her characters, I don't know if Heidi would want to do that that she wouldn't want to stretch her and throw her into something that she doesn't belong in, but again, I just any any uh any featuring of Heidi on SNL is a good use of airtime. That's how I would put it right now. Did you say stretcher? <laughs> yes. Colin, did you hear that, Colin? <laughs> I just want Colin to be in the loop.
0: Just heard. He just heard. Uh, all right, let's move into this back half of the episode, which is interesting, to say the least. A lot of, in true SNL fashion, a lot of weird, kooky, somewhat entertaining stuff in this back half of the episode. Let's go to Disneyland here. Let's start with this magic mirror sketch where you have these three women who... Almost start breaking immediately because Ad has this really interesting delivery of a line uh, where he says like inside every Disney princess is a lady and you could see like Cecily and Leslie start breaking a little bit but yeah, because she the, blew it she blew the
1: line yeah it should be backwards inside every lady is a princess it was she blew the line and that's why Cecily laughed because she messed it up
0: <laughs> yeah, which makes sense because I had I was like what does that mean I don't like are they talking yeah. about how Disney princesses are relatable I'm not entirely yeah. sure.
1: My wife is the one who noticed that she pointed it out just because 80 back. She uh, reversed the two uh, comments. That
0: makes so much more sense now, but they were able to regain from there, uh, but still veer off into a very odd path as each woman goes to the mirror and sees their inner Disney princess. Except for Leslie, who sees R. Kelly, who may or may not be a character named Shy Greg from Mulan. (laughs) Mario, a lot of weird, funky stuff going on in this one. What did you think about this one?
1: I thought this one felt very thrown together between 80 blowing the line and Cecily giggling and Cecily never giggles. And it just, the kind of the blocking was off and the timing was off. This one felt to me like a sketch that wasn't fully rehearsed, ready to going on the air. Like it was a decent idea. But I just didn't think it worked real well. It just seemed kind of sloppy. And it's, again, I've I've said that about several sketches over the last couple episodes, that it's weird because I'm not used to seeing so many blocking issues and continuity things like that on SNL. But I will admit, this is also the first year I've ever really watched the East Coast feed I've grown up in California and Seattle watching the West Coast feed, and I'm not sure if you uh, you snobby East Coasters know this, but on the West Coast, we generally get the dress rehearsal version. Like if a sketch gets screwed up, they'll show us the, the cleaner, polished West Coast uh, dress rehearsal version on the West. So maybe I'm just getting used to seeing the East for the first time, but this one has just felt like one that they weren't really ready to put on the air yet.
0: Yeah, I like this sketch when it started off because it seemed – So random, but I just loved Leslie's reaction, yelling, like, get out of that mirror, R. Kelly! Uh, (laughs) I thought that was a really funny reaction, but sort of like, again, going back to this tuliping sketch, they didn't really do anything with it. Because then he started, like, stuffing popcorn in his bag, and you would think of, like, all the R. Kelly jokes that could be made... After, you know, and around the the 12 a.m. hour on SNL, stuffing popcorn into a bag would not be would not make the top <laughs> 10 on that list. And you're right. There was some awkward blocking, like when they brought back Elsa, when you knew the joke was coming, that R. Kelly would come back in. He it, it lingered for like a couple seconds and then it cut back to Leslie while R. Kelly was talking. I'm happy that they got Chadwick to um to sing because it took a long, long time when we thought we were going to get it in the monologue. But yeah, this, I thought this was a good, it had legs and those legs kind of fell off near the end. And then of course, you know, I'm not a huge fan of when they do these sort of like ending jokes to be like, ah, don't you see? It was that thing all along. Like, it's not strange. It's actually a thing because it was like Beck comes in and says, oh, that's shy Greg from Mulan. and It's good for a joke. But I feel like the writer in me doesn't necessarily want to be like, yeah, we're essentially say that like this, the people were acting weird. This thing is actually normal.
1: Yeah, well, I mean that's one of the criticisms of SNL is that they don't write endings to sketches. So you on the flip side you have to at least give them credit. Well, they tried to put an ending in there. <laughs> I mean yeah. it was kind of a clumsy ending, but at least they went for it for once.
0: That's very true, yeah. I'd, I'd rather have that than just like someone being like, Oh, I'm gonna jump in the mirror with R. Kelly, you know? Uh, yeah. just sort of like a non-ending. So that being said though, I would rather watch this go on for an additional two minutes than unfortunately what we undergo next with the warehouse fire, which in and itself was a little bit of a dumpster fire of a sketch where we have these group of firefighters. This one guy, uh, Daniels, has to insist on going home at 6 because he has to prep himself, and it turns out he's doing a presentation for a product where they create life sized dolls of people so their dogs don't miss them when they're gone. And this is layered amongst about three minutes of them trying to put out a fire and trying to convince Daniels to stop withholding his information. Uh, I, I know I talked about this beforehand. I, I think this might be my least favorite sketch of the season so far. Mario, what did you think about this one?
1: So basically you, you thought this was the Cardi B of sketches.
0: Uh, pff, your words, <laughs> not mine.
1: <laughs> okay. No, um, I actually don't mind the idea behind the sketch. It was kind of a clever idea. And it was the one thing that I wrote in my notes as I'm watching this, is this this sketch might have worked with a stronger performer in Chadwick's role. And I'm trying to think of who would work, like Will Forte or something like you needed a really strong performer to really commit to the sketch and sell it. And Will Forte maybe have been able to do it or Tim Robinson or Michael Bryant or someone that was that was really versed in these odd sketches. And it just didn't work. But I don't think the premise behind the sketch is a bad idea. I just don't think they had the right people in there. They maybe should have. It's a very ambitious uh, and I'm trying, it's not the right word. Ambitious might not be the right word. It's a very esoteric sketch where I'm trying <clears> to think to describe the type of comedy it is, where, where there's something serious going on and there's a mundane comment, uh, con- uh, conversation in the background about something not important where they can't figure it out, but they're, they're, they're ignoring the important thing for this mundane thing. And again, I yeah. think this could have worked. It just doesn't cause Chadwick just didn't have the, the comedic chops to pull it off. But yeah, it, this was probably my least favorite sketch just because it didn't work. And the line about squirting, they kept coming back to squirting, which isn't a strong enough punchline for you to use like eight times in a sketch. And that the comedy writer just was bothered by that. Like, you know that you know that line's not that funny, but they kept going back to it like tuliping, like it was really funny. But yeah, I thought this was a – it was an ambitious attempt to pull off a sketch that maybe only Will Forte could have done. How about that?
0: Yeah, I mean I would also say that like you could put Will Ferrell in that – role yeah. too of just like someone who's like and you could see him get like increasingly angry you could even put someone like a kevin hart in there who does a good job of like you know trying to adamantly refuse something and brings a lot of energy into it it, it just it just didn't necessarily play i thought the the actors including chadwick were all doing an admirable job but i feel like between the writing where like Oh, we're so interesting in it. I mean, I think the funniest part of this was Beck's suggestion that since it involves dogs and dolls, his idea was that they were sex dolls with <laughs> dog faces on them, so that you could enjoy like the the loving touch of a dog.
1: Yeah, I mean this this sketch had more potential than the Disneyland one. If that's if that explains it well, that this one actually has has a more a grander idea. It was a really noble attempt to capture something that was kind of hard to do in a sketch. So I, I respect this one more than the Disneyland one because I thought the Disneyland one was kind of lazy. So yeah, this one didn't work, but I do think it was a a a uh, a noble failure. It was, they tried. <laughs> they
0: they admirably tried to put out the blaze that was encapsulating this sketch, but unfortunately, <laughs> uh, they suffered the burn, the third degree burn, as it got <laughs> encapsulated by flames. Well, let's let's move on. Let's go to this restaurant where a quartet of rather interesting looking individuals have decided to register their complaints through song this to me mario is like a very textbook 10 to 1 sketch it was very musical which i enjoyed but i'd be intrigued to hear your thoughts
1: yeah i mean this one really did nothing for me that my only note I, I really have no notes for this while i was watching it i just wrote well at least they're having fun so that's mm-hmm. my that's my thing. Like this was a performer's type of sketch. They were having a ball singing restaurant complaints and barbershop quartet, which I uh, admittedly is a funny idea. I don't think it really was laugh out loud in the sketch, but I, I I do appreciate that they all had a ball with it and they did it very well. They all did the singing part and you could tell they were enjoying it. So I I, I imagine this is a sketch much more for you with your background in music than mine. Yeah, this was I I can, I can see how you would like this one.
0: Yeah, I would compare it to, from the Sterling King Brown episode, that final sketch where they were singing Nickelback, where, like, there wasn't necessarily a lot of huge humor going on there, but, like, you could tell they were enjoying the hell out of it. Uh, I looked this up afterwards. It looks like, you know, the the wig work seemed extremely specific. I guess most of them were modeling their hair after a group called the Manhattan Transfer, Mm -hmm. which, if you look at a picture of that quartet, especially the women's hair, Kate and Cecily's hair, looks identical to the wigs that they were wearing. But I thought it was just such a weird, funny idea at first for them to bring out the manager, and they just say, well... Uh, <laughs> and I thought we were going to get, you know, uh, a a Kevin Roberts, David S. Pumpkins-esque joke where, you know, they would keep singing the compliments and they never get to the complaint, but then they finally get to the complaint, which is uh, Melissa's hostess, Angela, or Angelina, as they call her, uh, was not treating them well because she has a blacked-out tooth. I do think... Chadwick's oh yeah little <laughs> stinger I-, I liked bringing that back I don't know how I feel about having both Chadwick sing it and then Melissa sing it at the very end but I thought this had at least a lot of energy to it so it, it put a smile on my face with uh, all my teeth there
1: yeah you might have sold me on this one this is one maybe as I watch it more over the years it might grow on me because I can sense your enthusiasm for it and I didn't realize it was a Manhattan transfer reference which is kind of funny but yeah it was one of those that uh yeah, it just, uh, uh, it, it was cute. I'm glad they did it. I'm, they they enjoyed it.
0: So let's move on to, this might be my favorite thing from the night, actually. Let's talk about the Game of Life DACA edition. Because I had no idea where this was going. And <laughs> when it got to that place, uh, it was so good. First, I'm always going to love a sketch that puts Melissa front and center. So I'm glad they did here. at as someone who grew up playing the Game of Life religiously, maybe they just spoke really close to home for me. But I loved the ever-expanding packs and like the grim colors and all the specifics going on all the all the little game props like from a prop department perspective this was immaculate so much great specific stuff like i could imagine this took them the entire month-long break to build just because it was so so good in my opinion what did you think of it
1: yeah, why did they bury this one so far in the episode? Because this was one of the no standouts. Idea. Yeah, it was it was very topical. It was one of the standouts. It was really funny and well done and cutting, and, like, it made a point And, like, this was classic SNL commercial parody, and I just don't get the decision to throw this this late in the show unless maybe it's one of those things where... Like you said, they were putting so much work into it, the effects and stuff, that maybe it wasn't ready at the start of the show because, you know, you hear stories of SNL over the years where they're working on sketches right until the moment they air. So maybe this wasn't even ready until right this point. So I don't know. But, yeah, I thought this was really – absolutely – you can make the argument this was the best thing in this show, although I think the Black Jeopardy was better. But this was really good.
0: Yeah, I just think – between the the acting the way it was done as a commercial again just the reveal of the packs and also again the commentary about all the sort of bureaucratic stuff that goes through these dreamers like when, you know, uh the voiceover says like, oh, if you don't do this, you're going back to Honduras. And she's like, I, I never have been to Honduras. Like, well, you were and you got here, when you brought here when you were three months old. Uh So just all the stuff between like the little prop wall that gets slid into place the, the catapult, uh, you know her becoming slowly unraveled, having to get through uh, the immigration court system expansion pack. And of course a lovely little lampshade moment at the end, post name stinger with uh, Chris Red saying like how, to, how can I get this back into the box? I thought was, again, as someone who grew up playing those types of board games, I really love this.
1: Yeah, and I have to say, just as a comedy writing perspective, one of my favorite underused things in comedy is I love the concept of a catapult as a transportation device for someone. And they actually did it in this. That's how they deport her. They just put her in a, the little pink peg in the catapult and fling her back to Honduras or whatever, which I love the I'm, I'm very happy to see the catapult used as a comedy device.
0: Yes, yeah, very rare, but i We'll get a good catapult counter going in for Mario. Hopefully, we'll get this in the last four episodes. Let's. So we start. We started off the sketches post monologue with Black Panther. Let's bookend it and finish on these. This Wakanda Forever sketch, where moviegoers are coming. Out of seeing Black Panther, and essentially it's down to Chris and Leslie and uh, a rather manic Chadwick Boseman not playing himself, (laughs) trying to figure out if the white guy is doing the Wakanda Forever salute is okay. As someone who did not see Black Panther, what did you think about this?
1: I got enough from this episode to kind of get what Black Panther is about. So I kind of get this. So yeah, I like the sketch. It was a good idea. It was a, it seemed rather uh, under rehearsed. Like they, it was a little sloppy with just the timing of it all, but I liked the idea behind it. I liked the performances. I thought it was a good way to end the show. And uh, yeah, it was a, I don't know. What, what did you think about this one?
0: Yeah. I, I wasn't sure what to think of it originally. But there were some really fun lines in here, like specifically Chris and Leslie's reactions to Pete and Beck doing them. You know, Chris says it's like indigestion, but racially. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, I, like, I like the guy saying like, oh, yeah, we we should be doing it. And Leslie makes a really fantastic remark of, you know, we know history. You don't give things back, uh, which I thought was just a really nice nugget thrown in there. And a very small detail, but Beck insisting that it's called Wakanda, I thought was just like, that's all you <laughs> need to say about his characterization.
1: I should point out that before we, before we went on this podcast, I think I sim did a very similar thing where I misspelled Wakanda, so I, I totally uh, understand Beck's frustration with not getting it. <laughs>
0: And then Chadwick's character I thought was interesting, because you think in another world they would say, okay, let's bring him in as Chadwick Boseman to talk about it. But it turns out he just sort of comes in and goes off on a completely different tangent about how, you know, uh, the salute is a reminder that of the Egyptian gods holding their souls in and how all white people are came to Earth in sleep pods. Uh, <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. I don't know how I feel about the ending with Keenan being the stepdad. Like, was it supposed to be that oh, here are, you know, Chris and Leslie turning away these white people, but it turns out that the white people were with a black person in Keenan. Like, I don't know if I necessarily like that ending, but there were enough things in this sketch to keep me going along.
1: Yeah, and again, they tried to do an ending, so I got to give them credit for that. Although I will have to say that this was, what, Leslie's fourth or fifth live sketch in this episode and she didn't break character one she didn't laugh she didn't blow a line she was strong in this one too so you know big underrated episode for leslie i think she did very well in this one because that again has been her historically her achilles heel these live sketches where she's always blowing lines and she was flawless tonight in this one as well she was she had the most lines on this one i think
0: yeah completely agree i was very nervous immediately when the cold open started it was just her just because i'm like all right leslie i love you but we know you're not the best in these types of settings but To your point, yeah, maybe that that month break really, I don't know, maybe she she learned how to speed read cue cards or something, because she did a really, really great job tonight. Uh... Some overall stuff that, uh, that I want to mention as well. So back in the ADB sketch, uh, there was one scene where, you know, Chris and AD and Chad were hanging out, I guess, in the uh, the fitting room. And I don't know if you noticed this, Mario. There was a big whiteboard that had all the sketches uh, listed on it. So even mm-hmm. though I don't think I've gotten any reports from dress rehearsal yet, there were a few sketches on that board that got cut uh, that were apparently called Tiger Woods is Back. <laughs> uh, there's one called Sesame Street. There was one called Terminator, and there was one called Picture. So I have no idea what those would entail, but it seems like at least Tiger Woods' is back would have featured Chadwick as Tiger Woods. So it's interesting considering what made the show. You always wonder, like, what doesn't make the show? We talked a couple times in previous podcasts about cut sketches, but yeah, it's just it's just interesting to sort of look you know, behind the curtain a bit, quite literally, and see that uh, those were a few sketches that were cut for time.
1: Yeah, I would have liked to see that Sesame Street one in particular. I'm curious where they were going to go with that one.
0: Yeah, well, maybe they'll do, you know, the the Chucky e. Lee Bird from the Will Ferrell episode about the, the guy who keeps singing about increasingly younger girls from the 50s album. That was originally a Sam Rockwell sketch that got cut. So maybe we'll see Sesame Street in one of these episodes uh, coming up. I'm not entirely sure. But speaking of what's coming up, I'm really excited personally, because uh, last time we're on here, we're talking about Bill Hader. John Mulaney makes an appearance, one of his very rare on-screen appearances on SNL. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. Like, you know, it'd be maybe like a big wish, big get one day to see maybe John Mulaney could get onto SNL. And dreams do come true, I suppose, because next week John Mulaney is hosting SNL with musical guest Jack White. Mario, I know we talked on the Bill Hader podcast about how you didn't know who John Mulaney was. Mm -hmm. Give me your thoughts heading into this episode.
1: Okay, I have one question here. John Mulaney, I know he's fairly well known in the writing community, the SNL community. Does he do a lot of performing? Is there other things he does outside the show that he's known for being on stage or acting or doing anything like that?
0: So he was in a sitcom uh, called Mulaney that bombed notoriously on Fox a few years ago. He's also uh, been doing a a bit for a while with uh, Nick Kroll called Oh Hello, where he plays, you know, uh, it's hard to describe. They play a bunch of old fuddy-duddies, but he is a stand-up performer. So I would encourage both you and anyone out there who doesn't really know his work, in the time between this and next week, go to Netflix and check out his two stand-up specials on there. I believe it's New Kid in Town and The Comeback Kid are both on there. And, I mean, he's one of my favorite stand-ups out there. I think he's absolutely dynamite. So if you want to send to to probably what his monologue will be, you can check that out. But, yeah, that's pretty much what he's known for nowadays as a stand-up performer.
1: Okay. With you saying that, then I'm very excited about this because I'm I'm historically fairly bad the last couple of years of keeping up with stand-ups. But yeah, if he's a if well-known stand-up, then I'm looking forward to it. I've seen on other SNL message boards just people overjoyed and enraptured that John Mulaney is going to be hosting. So this is like a big bucket list item, not for you, but for apparently a lot of SNL fans. So I am very curious how this one's going to go. It's always a uh, kind of a wild card when a stand-up comedian comes in and hosts or a writer. So yeah, I'm looking forward to an episode that maybe will take some chances and do some different stuff, and those are always the most interesting episodes because he's not there to plug like a movie or anything. So uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm 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 always excited when SNL does something different, so that's what we're hoping for next week.
0: And not to mention not only a stand-up, but a stand-up who also has written for SNL. So yeah. it's even less of that thing of like, oh, you need to get them ingratiated with the cast. I mean, he knows The cast. He knows the writer's room. So, like, when it comes to bringing him back in there and him finally getting to write the things that he wants to for himself, Uh if Stefan is any indication, you know that we're going to be in for some very weird, hopefully very (laughs) fun stuff. So we'll check that out next week. We'll also get one from America's thoughts on Jack White of the White Stripes performing, which should be very interesting as well as we'll talk next week and SNL 43 continues chugging along. But thank you all so much for listening. Mario, thank you so much as usual. Uh, How can people follow you on social media and what has been going on with staff picks as of late?
1: Yeah. For people who don't know, I do this uh, movie podcast, staff picks. You can get there at staffpicks.podbean.com, where I just bring up all these old underrated movies, under love movies that need a little more attention. I uh, just did a fantastic episode on Last Action Hero with uh, my co-host Josh Wiggler, and that was one of my favorite episodes we've done so far. I got one coming up on the movie Meatballs, starring Bill Murray. I got one on Brigsby Bear, which just came out last year, Kyle Mooney movie, which you've heard me just rave about it, and I'm finally going to get you a chance to talk about it, so... I'm putting out tons of episodes. I think I have like 12 episodes planned over the next three weeks. So it's insane, my schedule. But yeah, so uh, check out Staff Picks if you want to hear me talk about movies and just movies that, again, I, I, I promise that I don't bash them like I do with Cardi B with these movies. I just talk about how, why people should love them. So it's a very positive podcast. It's the anti-Cardi B podcast. But that's my big thing. You can reach me on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And those are my big things at the moment.
0: You can always follow me at a Mike Bloom type. You can check out the Survivor exit press I do for Parade. You're going to be doing some additional stuff as well there in the next couple of weeks. I also do podcasts about Survivor, RuPaul's Drag Race. I have a movie podcast as well called The Hamster Factor. I stream D&D every other week. There's always... A lot going on. Uh, Always a big flame burning in podcasts that I will not squirt on anytime soon. But that'll do it for this week in SNL Funhouse. Again, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, Mario. Thank you, Will from America, for giving your thoughts on Cardi B. Follow him at Will from America. And we'll check you out next week for John Mulaney and Jack White. But for now,
1: bye bye Have some potato salad. (laughs)